if we've surrendered our will, our plans to the will of God, then we're not living in sin. But if we haven't, to the one who knows the right thing to do and just plain own doesn't do it, it's not, oh, a judgment of error. It's not an unfortunate mistake. It's sin. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today, Pastor Carl will conclude his sermon titled, Vapor Theology. Please join us in James chapter 4, where we are addressing the problem of perspective, specifically the difference between knowing and doing the will of God. Let's join Pastor Carl as he begins in verse 13. So verse 13 shows that they were not giving the credit to the Lord for their business. He, he was boasting in himself, and all such boasting is evil. You know, I can't read this passage of Scripture without my mind going to Luke chapter 12. Why don't you turn there with me to Luke chapter 12. If you're new to the Bible, the first book is Matthew, Mark. The third book in the New Testament is Luke. Go to Luke chapter 12. This boasting was presumptuous, it was evil, it was arrogance, and we have an illustration of such a person here in a parable that Jesus tells. We often frame this as the parable of the rich farmer. Luke chapter 12, and let's pick it up in verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive, And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So here is this farmer who's extremely skilled and extremely blessed. And his problem is, is he has tremendous success. He has a bumper crop, and it's so large he doesn't have a place to store all the crops, and it's a concern for him. So he makes a rather bold decision. Instead of adding on to the current building, he tears them down. He builds larger barns in which to store all of his goods. He has these visions of plenty in his mind instead of visions of the Lord and visions of sharing. In many ways, he's like the typical American who's living for retirement. They want to get a good job so they can make a lot of money so that they can retire at such and such an age. I met a guy recently. He told me when he was going to retire, he had the months ticked off. Well, let me just say, there's nothing necessarily wrong with retirement. Many times your company will ask you to leave. Or maybe your body or your mind just can't keep up with the demands of the profession that you're in. But I think you know if you are a Christian that retirement is not really a biblical principle. That at best all retirement is is a change of job description. And sadly, there are many people who retire so they can sit back, take their ease. They move to Florida and they play shuffleboard. Huh. What a waste. 
35 years ago, Audrey and I lost a choice friend. We were a newly married couple, and we were blessed to meet Roland Walker. He had one of the largest construction companies in all of Virginia. And he gave away millions of dollars to the cause of Christ. And I went to visit him in the hospital. He had had a heart attack and triple bypass surgery in the early days of bypass. And uh, I said, Roland, I said, what are your plans right now? And he began to articulate the plans for the next five years that he had. I loved his attitude. And he was thinking in terms of the kingdom of God and the difference that he could make for God's people. But think about this guy. He, he doesn't have a healthy vapor theology. He's got a crummy theology. Number one, he mistakes time for eternity. Look at verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Circle that word many. Many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be many. Dying hadn't really entered his mind. He had these unlimited horizons that this was just going to go on forever. Many goods laid up for many years to come, and the day he retires, he dies. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? Not only did he presume on the future, but he also confuses the physical with the spiritual. He refers to his body as his soul. Again, I will say to my soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He thought he had taken good care of his soul, but he'd actually totally ignored it. God said, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. He's like many lost people. They're religious, but it's not a religion based on the Scripture. I called one of those councilmen. In fact, I called all of them and called another one this week. And got a live message, I mean, a live person. And I said to him, now, what you're doing is you're not really opposing me. He, he, was, he was ragging on me. I said, look, you, you're not opposing me. You're opposing God Almighty. You're opposing what God's Word says because God's Word says that transgenderism and, and homosexuality and lesbianism are offensive to Him. Not my God. I said, well, you've created a God in your liking, not the God according to Holy Scripture. So here's a guy, he is religious, soul, you've got many goods laid up for many years to come. He's not really asking, God, what would you have me to do with my life? How would you have me to invest it? And so he's immediately confronted with eternity. He was rich in this world, but he was bankrupt for all of eternity. He mistook time for eternity. He mistook his body for his soul. Third, he mistook what was God's for his own. Look at verse 21. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This man's priorities, they're all out of whack. He paid his bills. He met his needs. He padded his retirement account. But he leaves God entirely out of the picture. He was never rich towards God. It's a biblical idiom that really describes the direction of a person's life. You want to find out what a person's life is? 
Look at his wallet. Everything he kept, he kept for himself. That's why God says in the first day of every week, we come and bring a portion of what he increases. It's not a 90-10% relationship. It's 100% God's. Someday I'll give an account for all 100%. But the tithe is a reminder that God owns it all. So here's a classic unbeliever who measures his success in the physical realm and not in the spiritual realm. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. In God's eyes, a man's life is not measured by what you own, but who you are. But we say, oh, he's successful. I mean, look at what he's got. And he may be a successful failure. And so Jesus wants to apply this lifestyle of the unbeliever to the saints. Look at verse 22. For this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Christ does not want his disciples, and by extension, none of us here today who are born again to have a a bad view of life. He wants us to have a good vapor theology. And so he says in verse 31, but seek first his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Please listen to your pastor. You only have a little slice of time to make a mark in this life. If you're going to tithe, do it now. Oh, when I get all my debts paid off, I'll start tithing. You'll never tithe. If you're going to share the gospel with that friend or that relative, do it now. I've been in more funeral homes over more caskets with crying people telling me, I just wish I had been more bold sharing the gospel with this person. And now it's too late. If you're going to build into the life of your grandchild, do it now. If you're going to find a place to serve in the local church, do it now. If you're going to express some act of kindness, do it now. If you're going to make your mark for Jesus Christ, don't wait to tomorrow because time will run out on you. Now, I want you to notice how he concludes the chapter. Beyond the foolishness of ignoring God's will and the wisdom of obeying God's will, he closes here in verse 17 with the sin of denying God's will, with the sin of denying God's will. Look now, if you will, at verse 17. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now, you know, if you are a careful reader of Scripture, whenever you see the word therefore, you should ask, what is the word therefore, therefore? In other words, how does verse 17 fit into the entire context concerning the will of God? And by the way, uh, this is a verse that is often used to describe the difference between sins of commission and sins of omission, and legitimately so. It's a fair application. Sins of commission is when you do something specifically that you are told that you shouldn't do. And sins of omission is when you know what the will of God is and you don't do it. Some people take a sense of pride in that they're not doing A, B, C, and D, but neither are they doing E, F, and G. 
And very often it is the sins of omission, of failure to do that which we ought to do, that ends up leading us into things that we shouldn't do. Why? Because you're out of fellowship. Now, contextually, there are two key principles that the therefore wants us to consider. First, in the context of therefore reminds us that if we've uh, been, if we've surrendered our will, our plans to the will of God, then we're not living in sin. But if we haven't, to the one who knows the right thing to do and just plain on doesn't do it, it's not, oh, a judgment of error. It's not an unfortunate mistake. It's sin. In other words, we are to live in such a way that we are living in dependence upon the Lord. We are seeking God. We're not just asking Him to bless our plans. We're asking Him to reveal His plans and for us to use them in a way that would please Him. James is saying, here is the principle. If you choose not to do what God has asked you to do, then you're living in sin. And if you're not dedicating your way to him, if you're just presuming on the future that you can say, this is my life and I'm going to do as I see fit and not really consult God, then that's sin. The one who knows the right thing and does it not, to him it is sin. He's living like a practical atheist. Again, God's not against planning. He's against plans made without him. Let me bring this in for a landing very quickly. Let me make three applications as we close this morning. It's pregnant with application all the way through, but let me highlight at least three. Number one, knowing the future, God in his mercy reveals one day at a time. Because God knows the future and his mercy and his grace, he reveals one day at a time. If we could anticipate the future, if we could figure out every potential contingency, number one, we'd be proud and independent and we wouldn't need the Lord. So God makes us who are finite, dependent on Him, the infinite. We have to humbly depend on Him. Not to mention it's really an expression of His grace. If we knew the future, a lot of us, we wouldn't want it. If God said, 10 years from now, this is what I have for you, you oh, no, it can't be. But you see, if you have 10 years of spiritual growth and maturity, you'll be ready for that. Or if there's some trial that God shows you that's coming on your life six months from now, oh, no, 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 no. You couldn't sleep at night. So many times it's in the mercy of God, the way he unfolds his will for us. In Psalm 103, it says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame, and he is mindful that we are but dust. God knows precisely what we can handle, and that's why he unfolds it the way he does. He has us deal with disappointment, and he has us deal with blessing one day at a time. And that's why Jesus can tell us in Matthew 6, 34, right after he says to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all your needs will be added. Then he says, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's actually a, an idiom. Sufficient is the evil unto the day thereof is the way the old English renders it. But that doesn't make much sense to us. But the thought behind it is, is every day has enough challenges of its own. And God will give us the grace to face each day.
So God in his mercy reveals one day at a time to us. And that's why we need to depend upon him each and every day and not presume on the future. Secondly, overconfidence about your future will lead potentially to neglect of your responsibilities today. You see, if you believe that you have the future in your hands, that next year you're going to make a profit, everything is going to work out very nicely, then you might neglect some of your God-given responsibilities today. If you're thinking that you can serve God when you get around to it, because you have control of the future, then you may miss God's plan and God's best for your life. Think about the father who's supposed to be the spiritual leader, the shepherd of his home. He says, well, you know, we'll start giving to the work of the Lord when we get out of debt. Or think about the person who says, well, you know, I'll come to church when, when it somehow works out on my schedule. I was going out of a restaurant, and I asked the gentleman, I said, by the way, do you go to church anywhere? Just being friendly, and we engaged in conversation. He said, no, I don't. I said, well, I'd love to invite you to the church I go to. He didn't know I was the pastor. He gave him a little invitational card, and He said, Sunday is my only day off. It's the only day I can rest. I said, well, actually, that's what the Bible says it's supposed to be. In six days, you're to do your work. And God gives us one day to rest, and part of that rest is spiritual replenishment. And he claimed to be a believer. And I'm not saying that he wasn't, but he was certainly, if he was, a a disobedient believer. And so if you're thinking, well, I can come to church and serve God when I want to, when it's important to me, all such boasting is arrogance. It's evil. Oh, you know, I'm going to start having devotionals with my family and teaching my sons and daughters the scriptures. You know, we'll, we'll get down on a one-on-one, and I'll get into their lives and ask them how they're doing. And, hey, let's look at this passage together, son, how it relates to life. And I'll do it someday. And all of a sudden, your kids are grown and gone. Your kids become teenagers, and they begin to run the show. I have people leave this church on occasion. Why'd you leave? Well, my teenage son or daughter wanted to go to such and such a church. Oh, they're in charge? Well, their friends are over there. That's how you make the decision? Tomorrow can always be out there. And the days turn into decades before you know it, your life is gone. You see, sin can be so subtle, and he is addressing sin in a a first century assembly of believers. It's not that this guy had a girlfriend in another city, and he was going to plan to commit adultery with her. It's not like he was getting drunk. It's not like he was dishonest in his business dealings. He was just arrogant. He was boastful. He was living his life without the Lord. And when you do that long enough, you begin to cauterize your soul. You become insensitive to the things of God. Third and finally, I'm reminded, if you're not a Christian, don't slam your Bibles and fold your pages and distract people who need to hear this. If you're not a Christian, overconfidence about your future can cause you to neglect your need today, your need to receive Christ. 
Now, if you're not a Christian, if you've never been saved, if you don't have the assurance that in the next 10 seconds, if the trumpet of God were to sound or if you were to drop dead in that seat, that heaven is absolutely your home, then you need to listen carefully. Years ago, we used to use, I don't see it anymore, a little business-sized card, and it would be a track that Christians would often share. But that was back in the 70s when Christians shared their faith. People don't share their faith anymore. We wonder why America's going down the tubes. Because Christians are distracted, cold, lukewarm, apathetic, and they're no longer sharing the gospel much less even just trying to invite someone to church. But we used to pass out these little cards, and on one side it said, what must I do to be saved? And then right below it it said, Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And you flipped it over, and the question was, what must I do to be lost? And it had one word underneath it, nothing. Just do nothing. Do absolutely nothing, and you'll be lost because Jesus said the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged or condemned already. It's already written across the forehead, condemned, guilty. We're on the broad road that is leading to destruction, and if you do absolutely nothing, that's where you will spend an eternity. And that's what James is underscoring. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does it not to him, it is sin. God wants you to be saved today. You say, well, I know that's something I need to do. I'm still thinking about it. I'll do it someday. And James would just say, all such boasting is evil. George W. Troot was once the great pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. He served there from 1897 to 1944 for 47 years. The pastor that followed him served for 50 years. They had virtually two pastors in a hundred year history. And he was a great pastor who taught the scripture, but among other things, he had a passion to win people to Christ. And there was a revival that was going on in his hometown of Hayesville, North Carolina. He was just 18 years old, and he was trying to win his childhood friend to Christ. And he had witnessed to him on several occasions, but without success. And he thought, well, maybe this revival preacher, he's powerful. God is using him. People are finding Christ. Maybe he would listen to him. So he asked his teenage friend, hey, why don't you come to the revival with me tonight? He said, well, not now, George, maybe later. Now, remember, this was a day when revivals weren't a week. They were two weeks, sometimes three weeks long, sometimes even longer. And over the course of the next few weeks, that pastor preached every night, and every night people were finding Christ. And he asked them day after day, hey, why don't you come tonight? Not now, George, maybe later. And then he went, and he was so moved by the sermon, he says, he's got to hear him. So we went by his house, because there was only a couple days left, and he went to see his friend, and he said, hey, is Robert home? His mother answered the door. He's home, but he can't see you. He's fallen sick, and he's in bed. George, why don't you come by tomorrow, and maybe you can see Robert then. So he came by the next day, and the mother answered the door. She had been crying, and 
She said, Robert, the doctors say that he is gravely ill and he does not have long to live and that if you want to see him, you must see him now. So he went in and he saw his dear friend whom he loved and cared for and played with. And his friend was trying to say something to him. And he got down, but he couldn't hear him. And finally, he, he put his ear right next to his mouth. And his friend said, not now, George. Later. And with that, he died. Those were his last words. And true, it said, as long as there is a breath within me, I will plead with men and women and boys and girls to come and find Jesus Christ because you are but a vapor. You appear for a moment and then your life is gone. Today, if you hear his voice, the message of salvation, the Bible warns, do not harden your heart. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation because none of us have the promise of tomorrow. Listen to me. If you are here today and you're not saved, the Spirit of God will not strive with you forever. There will come a point where you've said no so many times to the Spirit of God. The seed will be snatched that you may not believe and be saved. And you will never be able to say yes. You say you're scaring me. No, I'm just telling you what the Scripture says. Now, if you know Christ, how are you investing your vapor? You say, well, you know, I'm in my 60s and I've kind of blown it. I've come, look, I don't care if you're 70 years old. Today can be the first day of the rest of your life. And you can go forward from this day on. Remember the parable of the workmen, the guy who came in at four, and they all collected their money at five? And the guy who got in the, in the gig late, God gave him a great reward because in the last hour of his life, he was faithful. And you and I can be faithful as well. Now, our Father, we thank you this morning for your incredible grace. Thank you for this portion of Scripture that you've given us. And I pray today for someone who is here who's been putting off coming to Christ Help them to do that which is right and pleasing to you. Thank you that whosoever will may come, that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Help someone today, Father, in the quietness of their heart to say, Lord Jesus, save me. And because you have saved me, I will openly, publicly confess you before men. Father, help some other Christian, whether here on one of our campuses, who have already done that, but they need a New Testament home where they can grow and serve with other believers. Help them to come today. Some just need to take that first step and confess Christ openly and to be baptized in obedience to your word. Whatever their decision, by the Spirit of God, give them the grace to do that which would be pleasing to you, that they'll be glad they did when they meet you in heaven. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. The point that Pastor Carl is trying to make is that we only have a short amount of time to make a mark in this world. And if we know Christ, how are we investing our time? If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling 
Search the scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program James 001. Maybe you have a question you would like to ask Pastor Brogy personally. You can do that on Tuesdays between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. You can listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.